Welcome to Get Outside with Kids. Tonight, we're joined by a special guest, Hayley Renault, who's going to be talking to us about her experience working with summer camps and encouraging kids to love the ocean. Hayley's general manager at Seasmart and an overall nature lover. She's worked with children in recreational and education settings for the last 13 years, seeing over, wait for it, 20,000 children and youth through summer camps, clubs, workshops, and leadership initiatives. She also loves backpacking, hiking, snowshoeing, snorkeling, and scuba diving, as well as daily walks around the seawall and days at the beach. She's experienced firsthand the importance that nature has in development, mental health, and physical well-being, and always does her best to practice what she preaches. Haley, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. So we'd love to get started. Firstly, Haley and I know each other. We worked back at the together at the Vancouver Aquarium, which is interesting because Jen and I also worked at the Vancouver Aquarium Woo-hoo, together. Yeah. Unfortunately, Haley and Jen didn't overlap at all, but they now know each other. We're all friends now. A very uh, small world, the eco, <laughs> eco community world. It's very small. Yes. The aquarium's connected us all. But Haley, I'd love to know why is getting outside with kids something that's important to you? Definitely. And I honestly think getting outside with kids is one of my base values that I have as a person. I was very lucky throughout my childhood to have parents that encouraged me to get outside. I spent time outside every single day. I went camping every summer. I played sports outside. I also had a cottage where I was so lucky to get to swim on super hot Ontario days all the time. And knowing that not a lot of kids or my friends had access to the outdoors or to some of these spaces. I mean, like I learned how to swim in a lake. How awesome is that? So I just know the personal importance that it's had for me in my own development as a human. Um, So now I'm so grateful to work with kids and see that experience and how the outdoors can impact them. Um, and I've seen a lot of kids, as you said, Kate. Um, 20,000. Yeah. <laughs> 20,000. That's a ridiculous number. Yeah. And it's an estimate, but I've been in programs for 13 years now, and we see hundreds of kids through our doors every single day. So I often forget how many kids it actually is that I've had a hand in some sort of programming. Yeah. I mean, I've got two kids and I'm like completely <laughs> tapped out. And like the idea of 20,000 <laughs> is just mind blowing. <laughs> but uh, fair, I've never, never had 20,000 at once. I think that would be a bit much, but I've had over a thousand at a time. So um, that is whoa, quite a bit. Whoa. Okay. You're now working at C-Smart here in Vancouver. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what C-Smart's all about and how you kind of got into this whole world of environmental education? Yeah, so C-SMART is an ocean education charity based in Vancouver, and it's all about empowering people of all ages to love and protect our oceans. So we typically do that through hands-on workshops for mostly students and children, but sometimes for adults and our corporate partners. And we're really focused on how learning about our oceans through positive interactions and experiences can inspire people through awe and wonder to love and protect our oceans. So all of our kids leave our programs feeling empowered to make differences and change the world, which is just so amazing. Um, And I kind of got into environmental education sort of by accident. I don't have a background in education. I studied environmental sciences in university, but had always been involved with camps and recreation and education programs. My first job ever was working at an overnight camp where I think I made $400 for the entire month and was working 24 (laughs) hours a day, (laughs) but loved every single second of it. And truly, that's where I felt my most comfortable. I truly stepped into my own in that environment and just selfishly was like, I can never leave this. So I always had said my dream job would be taking that passion that I had for working with kids 
and combining it with my knowledge on the environment. And then somehow it was just handed the dream of a lifetime job where I get to do both of those things. So it kind of happened by accident. It was this dream job that I envisioned, but then didn't think existed. And all of a sudden dream came true. That sounds like amazing. I love when people have combined their passion with like an amazing job. Now you talked about the hands on stuff and I think that's so cool. Can you tell us like, what are we getting our hands on with? Like if I want to come to one of these, I'm like, what do I get to touch? What do we do? Great question. (laughs) And it really ranges from anything. I think the definition of hands on as well, it's really anything that you can get your hands on, including touching cool props. So looking at a sea lion to and comparing that to the actual size of a sea lion and how it's different than your own teeth. Maybe you're running an experiment to learn about ocean acidification by dissolving a seashell in vinegar. Uh, It could even just be a beach walk where you're flipping over rocks and laughing at all of the thousands of crabs that come crawling out of everywhere. Uh, So it's really anything that gets kids doing something. And doing is the best way to learn. And I'm so happy that all of the programs that I've been able to work in both at CSMART and at the aquarium very much focus on that learning by doing, which is so important. The, you also kind of mentioned the the importance of positivity with kids and, you know, the world is a pretty frightening place with heat domes and atmospheric rivers again, and there's a lot of scariness in the world out there. So what is it about, you know, how, how do we inspire that positivity in kids and how do we teach them about the natural world, in particular the ocean, without just freaking them out because there's so many horrible, scary stories out there. Um, and we like they're clearly not appropriate for my kids who are three and five, uh, but what is appropriate? How do we inspire that positivity in them? That's a great question. And it's something that I still learn how to do every single day. And when I was taking my undergraduate degree in environmental sciences, I entered a deep depression afterwards because all we were learning about was all of the things wrong with the world. And we weren't ever given any sort of solution or action to take to change any of it. So I walked away learning, all right, well, we've not got that much time left. I guess I might as well just find something fun to do in between then. And first starting my job at the aquarium, first day of camp, seeing a kid go home at the end of the day and tell their parent, today I learned about sea lions. And did you know that the plastic bags that we use really hurt the sea lions? We should probably stop using plastic bags. Like, holy cow, this kid has got it. So really the root the root of everything is you can... Com- explain these complex ideas and phenomenon, and you don't have to shy away from some of the problems that we are facing, as long as you link something to an action that the kids can take, or that you could take, or that your family or community or school group can take. So I like to identify a few different themes of what kids can do very easily and link that to any sort of problem that I'm addressing. So anytime we're talking about pollution, What can kids do right now to help stop that and knowing that it's a problem that can be fixed? Obviously, there's a lot of pieces that are outside of our control, but they really want to know what they can do to make an impact. So it's things like using reusable grocery bags. Um, If you're going to the store and buying your produce, do you really need to get a produce bag? It's things like using containers at lunchtime instead of saran wrap or aluminum foil. So there are so many different things that kids can do and keeping it simple enough. And a great way is to show them the action that they can have. So doing a shoreline cleanup where you're picking up household items that they might have in their own house and then having that conversation and reflection with them. Hey, do you recognize any of these pieces? Maybe they're not the best ones to use. Let's do our best to reduce the amount of these products that we're using. So there's always a way it is a little bit tricky to find the link sometimes 
But if you come up with a bunch of actionable items that you and your families can do, it comes a lot easier to facilitate those discussions. We see nowadays a lot of kids are spending more and more time indoors. They're spending more time on screens. And we're kind of curious about, you know, camp is like a gateway to getting outside, particularly camps that spend a lot of time or the majority of the time outdoors. What kind of experience have you had with kids who came in maybe being maybe they're very uncomfortable in an outdoor setting and the kind of play and the sorts of exploration you were doing outside. And how have you sort of seen maybe over the course of a one-week camp, perhaps over multiple years with kids who you see coming back, how have you seen them that kind of confidence grow maybe in some of those kids? It's honestly so incredible the difference in all of the kids that I see from day one to the last day. Regardless of age of the kids, I had a 16-year-old come with me on a learning journey where we took a ferry, we went kayaking, we did a cool beach walk. And she told me on the ferry back that that was her first time, number one, ever leaving her home, number two, being on a ferry, number three, camping, number four, roasting a s'more. And I couldn't believe that at the age of 16, because I had done so much as a kid and I was so lucky that this was the first experience for someone. So that actually made me start to, like, I took a step back to rethink how I looked at all of our programs. And, you know, you might get a kid that goes backpacking with their parents or, you know, like has a boat or a cottage and is outside all the time, but you might have kids coming in that their parents either don't know how to engage them outside with the outdoors or they don't have access to outdoor spaces. So that's when I really started to rework our first day and getting to know the kids. Really, the big thing is creating a community space where everyone feels comfortable and involved. And that makes all of the difference in the world. Once the kids know that they have friends and a community and people that have similar interests, their willingness to grow and learn and get outside of their comfort zone triples, quadruples. It's just so amazing to see. Even at the end of day on the first day of camp, kids are friends that did not know each other at the beginning of the week. So it's always something that you have to balance and it's encouraging the kids, especially by challenge, by choice. It's one of my favorite quotes that we use in the outdoor education world. Everyone has a different comfort level and you have to encourage the kids to push their comfort level, but only within their own comfort zone. So, you know, some kids don't like playing in the mud. That's perfectly okay, but then they can see other people playing in the mud and having fun. And maybe by Friday, they're okay with having some dirt on their hands and maybe they're not. And that's totally okay. So it's so cool to see a different range of students walking through the door and then just seeing the impact that it has throughout the week. And the person that they leave is completely different than first day. I think that's such a cool story because like me and Kate, if you listen back to like our very first episode when we do our intro, Kate was the person who had all that outdoor experience growing up and went camping, you know, as like, I think like a toddler with her family. And I was from a baby. I was a baby. I had absolutely no say in it, but I was a tiny baby. (laughs) Tiny baby. But I, on the other hand, I grew up from Ontario and not that you can't get outside in Ontario, but a bit of a different culture depending on where you're from. Um, And I never went camping or really that outside. Like we had like a backyard, but that was the extent of like our outside time. No hiking, no s'mores on the fire. I didn't do any of that stuff till I was a grown adult. Um, But like the story that like there's still hope. It doesn't matter when you come into this experience, right? Whether you're a new baby who's been outside your whole life or you're 16, like that teenager for the first time, or even like me in my mid 20s, kind of for the very first time embracing the outside, like there's so much room to grow and embrace. And it doesn't really matter where you start from. There's kind of something for everyone. And me and Kate always say to our children who we were just, you know, recently camping our families together. And I'm like, our small children who our oldest children are just five. I'm like, they have already been camping 
more times in their little lives than most adults have, you know, like they really have no idea how lucky they are. And the reason we want that is because of mine and Kate's different experiences that we want them to have that that shared experience growing up. So I really love that story because I think it really touches on it doesn't matter when you come into the outside, it can make a difference at any point in your life. 100%. I have friends my own age that have never been overnight camping and are so excited to go for their first time and see what the experience is all about. And it's so cool, especially when you have a range of skills and experiences and sharing that with each other is just always so exciting, no matter how old or how young you are. So obviously one of the ways that kids can kind of be introduced to some of these concepts, maybe around ocean exploration and ocean discovery is to, to come to a camp such as the camps run by Seasmart. Um, what other tips would you give to parents who are sort of, you know, they get down to the beach with their kid and they're like, Ugh. I honestly don't know what to do. I, you know, I'd love my kid to understand more about the ocean, but unless you have a master's degree in oceanography, (laughs) which I do, and it's completely useless, (laughs) totally useless. I know nothing about animals. Yeah. I think you know this, Hayley. I know nothing about animals in in the aquarium. I know nothing about animals in the ocean. Um, So this master's degree was basically a waste of time. But when I go down to the beach with my kids, what kind of activities can I do with, say, a three and a five-year-old that sort of help to sort of spark that interest and and begin to get them excited about the ocean? Yeah. And to echo kind of your thoughts, Kate, I'm also not an expert on the ocean. While I studied environmental sciences, that was in Ottawa. And I think I had one class that briefly touched on the ocean and I felt like the biggest (laughs) fraud when I started working at the aquarium. I was like, I don't know nothing about these animals. I don't know how to lead a beach walk. (laughs) I felt so lost. But the way that I learned about all of the animals at the aquarium and all of this amazing knowledge about the ocean was honestly from the kids in camp. And they're coming in with some kids, I got to admit, are very, very smart and are often smarter than any of the educators I've ever hired. But most of the kids coming in don't really have a great understanding on a lot of these things. But it's through the exploration and the questions that the kids were asking that grew my own learning. I had no facts about reef sharks. And it's through all of the questions that the kids were asking and through our observational skills that we made our own deductions. And then I would kind of go off, do my own research and come back at them with whatever the answers were. And I think really the big thing and maybe a big misconception within environmental education in general is you do not have to be an expert in anything because the kids are going to guide you and the kids will let you know what they're interested in and what they want to learn about and what they want to explore. And it's through that, that the lesson kind of builds itself. And the more that you do that, the more you get familiar with what they're looking for and you can better plan ahead. But honestly, it's kind of that learning in the moment that is often the best learning. And as I said, I don't know anything, for example, about sea stars. So I would teach the kids about sea stars by asking them what they were seeing. So they're like, oh, it has five arms. Oh, why do you think it might have five arms? Oh, how do you think it moves around? Oh, why do you think it's that color? Why do you think it sticks on this rock? And most of the time, the answers or the conclusions that they were coming to we're on the right track. Um, so it's really amazing the knowledge that they already have. You just kind of have to push them to get it out of them. I love that. I think that's so cool because it gives me hope, uh, firstly, <laughs> um, particularly about like I, if I know not much about the ocean, I know almost nothing about the forest. So when we go camping in a forest, I'm like, I have no idea. So that's pretty encouraging that approach of just being led by your kids. And I think it's something that 
you know, I as a parent have been trying to embrace more, I think even starting out since starting our podcast and talking to people more about the importance of child-led unstructured time outside and how that helps you to see what your kids are interested in rather than being like, come children, today we are going to talk about tree identification. My five-year-old would be like, <laughs> what the hell? I want to go look at this bug because it's gross and cool and sticky and weird. And like having the freedom and the time and the lack of scheduling to allow them to go and do that and then observe them and be like, oh, wow, they're really interested in that bug. I better put my tree identification course away and just be guided by, <laughs> by giving them the time to, to explore what they're interested in and showing me what we should be exploring. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we do actually really great at C-Smart Summer Camps is we give kids a lot of time to explore and we give them some tools to do that. So for example, they'll have a logbook with an observations page and we say, all right, go spend the next 30 minutes looking at something on the beach draw or write what you see. If you have any questions, write them down. And there are some kids that just don't write anything. They're just playing in the sand for half an hour. And that's perfectly fine because now they're going to love coming to the beach to play in the sand. But then you'll get those kids that hyper focus in on one tiny crab and they're drawing it. They're writing all of their observations. And then they come back and tell you all these amazing things that they learned about this crab. And I'm like, I'm so happy I taught you all of this fun stuff when I actually didn't do anything. Good job, Um, Haley. Pat on the back for you. (laughs) Right, right. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. (laughs) And for parents who are listening in and some of them, like you said, might have different levels of comfort outside. So the camps that you run are mainly outdoors camps. So what happens when it rains? Like, tell me, tell me what the day looks like. So maybe give us a run through of like, what happens when it rains? And what does a typical structure of an all day outside camp look like? Excellent question. And we always try and avoid the possibility of rain or extreme heat or smoke, because quite frankly, it's not that fun to run a fully outdoor camp in a rainstorm. No, um, that could be all year, right? <laughs> right, especially here. But I think what really is special is there's beauty in all the different types of weather that we do get here. And coming with the right gear, you can have a blast in the rain instead of having a hot, beachy, sunny day. Now you're getting your kids in boots and you're jumping in puddles and looking at worms and comparing the differences on how the water looks a hot sunny day versus a cool rainy day. So it is kind of annoying to have to be outside all day in the rain, but you can just have so much fun if you embrace it, if you're okay to get wet. Obviously, if it's really cold or a torrential downpour or a thunderstorm, or if the heat is way too much to be outside, that's when we have to consider other possibilities, such as like seeking an indoor space, potentially canceling the camp. But we've been very lucky. BC has beautiful summers. So it's usually ideal weather with very little rain. I grew up in Ottawa and they'll get thunderstorms that come out of nowhere and wipe out an entire field in five minutes. So we're very lucky that we don't get quite extreme storms like that. So usually you can weather it out, suck it up, be tough. And teach kids about the beauty of being outdoors in all sorts of weather. So you're thinking about, you know, all those 20,000 kids and I'm sure, I'm sure all of those camps went perfectly to plan. There were never (laughs) any accidents, never any mistakes. Um, You must have like a whole catalog in your head of the times when things didn't go right. We'd like to talk about them because... I think it's easy to, to look at social media and see these people having these beautiful outdoor experiences and you don't see the meltdowns, you don't see the accidents, you don't see the scraped knees, you don't see the weather 
incidents that happen. When you think about that, you must have so many ideas in your head of when the things went horribly wrong um, and how you kind of dealt with each of those things. Definitely. And I'm not going to lie, try and block out most of them because sometimes it's a lot and it can be very stressful. Um, And the thing with summer camps and large programs for kids, especially ones that are fully outdoors or even have a majority of the day outdoors, absolutely nothing that you plan is going to go to plan. And you could create 12 million backup plans. Trust me, I always am doing that. And still the day arrives where I'm like, oh, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all out the window. We're still adapting on the fly. And I actually always say that summer camps, I think everyone in the world should have to work summer camps at some point because you learn all of those very important soft skills that are crucial to any job in the future, mostly teamwork, being adaptable, being flexible, communicating with each other. And this is because everything that you plan is probably not going to go to plan. So you really have to be on your toes. You need to think of things on the fly. You need to be okay with changing your schedule. And if it's silent for five minutes with the kids while you try and figure out what to do, that's okay. I'm also a bit of a perfectionist myself. So this has been something that I've learned over my last 13 years in camp. The first time that I ever had to plan a camp, I spent way too much time planning out every single detail. And if something didn't go to plan or I had to move something off of the schedule or an activity took too long or didn't take long enough, I would have a full on panic attack. But honestly, that's how every single day of camp goes. And you just need to be okay with going with the flow. And no matter what, you are having fun with kids. They are playing, they are laughing, they are making new friends. Even if your programming sucks, they're still going to have the best day ever. So it's getting comfortable and readjusting your own expectations on what is perfect. And just knowing like kids, if you are with kids, being present, forming relationships with them, inspiring them through play, they're going to have a great time no matter what. Okay. So can you share with us one wild story of something that happened? You know, we won't name any names, but maybe like little Susie or little Billy did something, you know, outrageous or something happened. Uh, you know, give us a lowdown. on Like what's the, what's the worst thing that can happen, you know, to you, the counselor at an outdoor camp with, you know, a thousand kids. I would never say that I've ever had a bad day at camp. And one of my big mottos in life is, There's absolutely no such thing as a bad kid. There are only bad moments. And oftentimes there are things in the environment, things going on at home, things outside of your control that are causing some kind of major meltdowns at points. And it's always remembering it's not the kid. It's not me. It's something that we can change to make things better. So I think the best example that I have is this one kid that um, came to our camps that didn't really speak English very well. So number one, there was a huge communication barrier. And this kid, unfortunately, was split into a separate camp from his brother. So was not only not able to fully understand the staff or any of the kids in the camp. Now, the only person that could understand him was in a different group. And he was getting so frustrated because nobody in the group could quite understand what he was asking. And so one lunchtime, he started to have a huge meltdown. He was kicking and screaming and kind of getting a little worrisome to be around other kids. So that's where I step in. I've always been the camp security guard or (laughs) the, the barrier between everything. So 
I sat with that kid while that kid had a full meltdown. I walked away with scratch marks. I was being screamed at. It was not a great time, but I sat there in silence. That kid eventually calmed down, fell asleep. And I sat there for an hour and a half with that kid. So it was very clear. This kid was exhausted. Number one. Number two, I brought his brother over once he woke up and they had a great chat. We were able to figure out that he was upset because he wasn't in a group with someone that understood him. Easy fix. Let's just move him into the other group. So honestly, like one of my favorite things, and sometimes it does suck when you're sitting there for an hour and a half with a kid that is not having a great time, does not really like you, but they learn to love you later. And then realizing that it was like such an easy fix. So easy. And, you know, you hand them a granola bar and their entire day is switched. So it's always my favorite moments like that. Doesn't go to plan is a little bit concerning, high stress for everyone, but it all works out in the end. That's like so touching. I know. I feel like that poor child, right? And like, how frustrating would that be that he can't communicate? They're tired. They're hungry. That's like the ultimate meltdown scenario, right? When you, when you can't communicate as an adult, how frustrating that is. Never mind as a, a small human being when you're trying your best. Like, oh, I'm like, I would feel so comfortable having you as our camp leader now. Like, because <laughs> uh, Haley's Haley's the camp leader I'd want for my kids. I'm so glad you oh, were there with you. that little kid. That's so sweet that you were able to recognize that and not be like what's wrong with this kid, but rather what happened to this kid, you know, like this is not a bad kid. It's a horrible moment. And uh, we might've contributed to that accidentally. Yeah. And honestly, like the first time I was ever a counselor and there was a kid throwing a huge tantrum and ripping paint off the walls, throwing chairs everywhere. I was totally like, what is wrong with this kid? And again, looking back now and growing through summer camps and seeing that many kids, I know exactly what was wrong. Again, this was a, he was a five-year-old kid. English wasn't his first language. He was completely exhausted. We had been in the hot sun all day and he just needed a nap. And the (laughs) amount of kids that, especially our younger campers, our four or five-year-olds, even sometimes six, seven, eight, most of the time, I'll just walk them down into the office with me, set up a little mat under my desk and they're asleep within seconds. And it's just that little body break and, or just quiet playtime as well, removed from this big, busy, rowdy group in the hot sun that can make all of the difference in their day. And then they're back to being a perfectly well-behaved kid. Like imagine how many world problems could be solved if like more people just had naps in the day. Like I really feel fundamentally the world would be a better place if if we all took the nap that we needed in the middle of the day, you know? Yeah. Exactly. If you said to your coworker, if Haley went up to a coworker who was, you know, being unreasonable about a thing and said, Hey, I'm here for you. I'm you can't push me away. Go to sleep on the floor for five minutes and then we'll talk. Imagine. <laughs> I do think it is funny though, because We do that quite often with kids, especially when you are leading a group of kids. And sometimes we don't always do that check-in for ourselves. And we can very easily see the impact that it can have on a four-year-old when they didn't have a nap or they've been go, go, go all day, or they didn't have enough snacks in their lunch bag. And there will be a huge meltdown. But adults are very similar. If they're not eating enough throughout the day, if they're not taking rests, if they're not prioritizing their own mental health, they will have a very similar breakdown. It might just look a little bit different. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never, ever done that for a hangry attack on my husband or (laughs) 
lost my temper about ridiculous things. That doesn't sound like me. Um, <laughs> so Haley, if people are interested in learning more about CSMART and your camps, where can they find you? So they can find more information about CSMART at csmartschool.com. And our summer camps are still open for registration. We have a few sold out weeks, so it's better to sign up sooner rather than later. And our camps are for kids age six to 10. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Haley. It's been great to talk to you about camps. As somebody who grew up in Australia, summer camps don't really exist the way they do here. And you talking about your camp experiences as a kid, sleepaway camp was like something out of a you know an American movie to me. I always thought it seemed like a dream. And the way you talk about it, it still sounds like a dream to me. It sounds so cool. Um, and so thank you so much for sharing your experience from working with kids in camps and how, you know, the importance of getting outside with kids is, is just such a huge part of that camp experience. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love to have you share it with a friend or a family member who might also find this a really interesting topic for them and their kids. You can also find us over on Instagram at Get Outside With Kids. We'd love to hear your DMs, hear about what you're getting up to this summer or winter, depending on where you are in the world with your kids and uh, answer any questions you have about our episodes. We also love to hear episode suggestions. If you've got a great idea for a topic that you want us to talk about or a guest you want us to interview, we'd love to hear that there too. And make sure you check back again next week for another episode of Get Outside With Kids. <laughs>